You're listening to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. And Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I have obeyed your voice in all that you have said to me, and have made a king over you. And now, behold, the king walks before you, and I am old and gray, and behold, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my youth until this day. Here I am. Testify against me before Yahweh and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Testify against me, and I will restore it to you. They said, You have not defrauded us, or oppressed us, or taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, Yahweh has witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day, that you have not found anything in my hand. And they said, He is witness. And Samuel said to the people, Yahweh is witness, who appointed Moses and Aaron, and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still, that I may plead with you before Yahweh concerning all the righteous deeds of Yahweh that he performed for you and for your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them, then your fathers cried out to Yahweh, and Yahweh sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. But they forgot Yahweh their God, and he sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. And they cried out to Yahweh, and said, We have sinned, because we have forsaken Yahweh, and have served the Baals and the Ashroth. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies, that we may serve you. And Yahweh sent Jerubbabel, and Barak, and Jephthah, and Samuel, and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and you lived in safety. And when you saw that Nahash the king of the Ammonites came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us, when Yahweh your God was your king. And now, behold the king whom you have chosen, for whom you have asked. Behold, Yahweh has set a king over you. If you will fear Yahweh and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of Yahweh, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow Yahweh your God, It will be well, but if you will not obey the voice of Yahweh, but rebel against the commandment of Yahweh, then the hand of Yahweh will be against you and your king. Now therefore stand still, and see this great thing that Yahweh will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon Yahweh, that he may send thunder and rain, and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of Yahweh, in asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon Yahweh, and Yahweh sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared Yahweh and Samuel. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to Yahweh your God, that we may not die, for we have added to all our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. Yet do not turn aside from following Yahweh, but serve Yahweh with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For Yahweh will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased Yahweh to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, 
Far be it from me that I should sin against Yahweh by ceasing to pray for you, and I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Only fear Yahweh and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. Welcome back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and this is my show. And today is Saturday, October 7th. 1 Samuel chapter 12 is what we just read together. Samuel's farewell address, in which if you'll notice, and I don't think you can help but notice if you were listening, if you'll notice, Samuel is feeling very raw, very insecure. He asks a series of questions, one after another, after another. And I can't read this personally without hearing someone who feels as though his legacy is in question. His faithfulness, his decency, his integrity, very much in question. But then also, too, the (laughs) issue of his sons, right? He has sons who he has appointed to be judges. And that's one of the things that Israel tells him is, your sons are not like you. Your sons take bribes. Your sons are corrupt, and we all know it. And Samuel doesn't dispute that, but then he throws in this little comment here. My sons are with you, which is very subtle, but you can't miss it. My sons are with you is something of denial. It's denial because maybe he doesn't want to believe this about his sons, Maybe he doesn't want to admit it. Maybe he's too proud to admit it. Maybe he's blind to it. It's hard telling. But if his sons are corrupt, he is resembling a little bit Eli, the previous judge, whose two sons were so wicked that when they brought the Ark of the Covenant out, because Eli had not put a stop to it, their wickedness that everybody knew about also, because Eli had not put a stop to it, God allowed Israel to be defeated by the Philistines, allowed the Ark of the Covenant to be taken into the possession of the Philistines, and allowed Hophni and Phinehas, Eli's two sons, to be killed. When Eli heard that his sons had been killed, if you'll remember, he fell down, broke his neck, and died. An old man, old and heavy. Here is Samuel, and he doesn't have that stark of a moment. But still, he says, my sons are with you. So there's something of a denial of the issue with his sons. But then he leads into questions. He doesn't ask a question about his sons, but he asks questions about how he himself has related to them. And he wants to know. He wants to know whose ox he's taken, whose donkey has he taken, who has he defrauded, who has he oppressed, Has he taken a bribe from anybody to blind his own eyes with it? Testify against me, he says, and I will restore it to you. And the people answer, 
You have not defrauded us, or oppressed us, or taken anything from any man's hand. And then what follows? Now that that's out of the system, now that Samuel has had a chance to get that off his chest, he delves into recounting how this people has been delivered by Yahweh their God again and again, and they have turned away from Yahweh their God again and again. After being delivered, after God answering their prayers, they've turned away again and again and served other gods. And they cry out, the people here, we have sinned because we have forsaken Yahweh and have served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies that we may serve you. Oh, wait a second. That was their fathers. That was another generation, several other generations, actually. This is a repeating pattern with this people. But then it's also this generation. It's also these men of Israel. They reject God. God gives them over to their enemies. They cry out for deliverance, and God delivers them. And then things are good for a while, and then they go right back. And this is something like the Strauss-Howe generational model. In fact, Neil Howe and William Strauss reference the genealogies and the history of Israel in their works as a further evidence that there's something to this. There's something to this generational cycle business. Every 20 years, thereabouts, you have a new generational archetype, and that generational archetype follows a certain pattern. There's a certain sine wave pattern to one generation after another after another, relating to the previous generation in such and such a way, and also relating to circumstances at various times in their life, various maturity levels. But here you have Samuel telling the people of Israel, don't stop serving Yahweh. Don't stop. If you will not obey the voice of Yahweh, but rebel against the commandment of Yahweh, then the hand of Yahweh will be against you and your king. And then he does what? He performs a miracle. He performs a sign and a wonder so that you know this is not just Samuel emoting. This isn't just a grumpy old man who's bitter at his sons having been rejected, at his having been rejected. He calls on God to bring thunder and rain. Thunder and rain on a day of harvest, which is, if you're not familiar, that's not exactly when you want thunder and rain. Thunder and rain during a harvest means you wait. You wait on the harvesting. And hopefully the rain is not too heavy, and hopefully the rain doesn't soak your crops to where they're ruined or you have to wait many days. Hopefully it's not so hard that things that were drying out now can't be properly dry when you were planning on harvesting. But anyway, you slice it, any rain, any thunder on a day of harvest, because Samuel has called to God, is a sign and a wonder to authenticate what's being said, to authenticate the message of this prophet to this people, to warn them, only fear Yahweh and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. Samuel reiterates this quite a lot. And this is not all positive, encouraging material. This is a sober warning. Yes, there is positive. Yes, there's happiness. There's joy. There are good things to expect. But not if you are flagrantly disobedient, willful, stubborn, wicked, 
You don't get to expect that the party never stops when you worship other gods and you don't serve Yahweh faithfully. That's not the way that it works. That's not the way it's going to work. That's not the way it's ever worked. And actually, it's a mercy to you because the end of that is destruction. When you worship other gods, you find yourself damned. They do not have the ability to save you. Your problem is with God. If you go to other gods because, well, God's just not talking to me right now. God's just not blessing me. I need a little bit of help, a little bit of divine intervention. I'm going to seek some other God to help me. That other God you cry out to cannot save you. Only the Lord God Almighty, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob can save you. But he doesn't just give and give and give and give without some requirement of obedience, faithfulness, holiness. God will not be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. So that is to say, if we reap penalties and punishments, we should expect when we survey how we got to now, we were sowing wickedness. We were sowing folly. That's part of the mercy. That's part of, ironically, the kindness of God that he restrains evil by sending us consequences when we are wicked. Otherwise, take care. If he's just leaving you to your own devices, leaving you uninterrupted as you continue on being foolish and wicked, well then, you really are in trouble in that case. But enough about Samuel and Saul for now. Let's get into some current events items. First up, we have some heaviness. Breaking Israel declares state of war as Palestinian terrorists launch massive surprise attack on Jewish holiday. Ryan Saavedra reports for the Daily Wire this morning. Israel declared an all-out state of war on Saturday after Palestinian terrorists reportedly fired thousands of rockets from inside Gaza, and while dozens of highly armed terrorists infiltrated parts of Israel, opening fire on innocent civilians. The attacks were carried out by Hamas, an Islamic terrorist group that is funded in part by Iran during the holiday of Simchat Torah and on Shabbat, the Jewish day of rest that is observed by many in Israel. Terrorist Mohammed Daif, Hamas's military chief, said that his militants fired 5,000 rockets into Israel as part of Operation Al-Aqsa Storm. He called for surrounding Islamic nations to join the Palestinian terrorists in their attacks on Israel. Israeli Defense Forces released a map only a few hours into the attack that showed all the places where rockets from the attack had landed. The IDF suggested that the number of rockets fired into Israel was approximately 2,500, not 5,000. Either way, if you follow the link or if you check out reporting from somewhere else that is going to be honest and not biased against Israel, you will see some very disturbing images of smoke rising from towns, from cities, from countryside, all over Israel. And there is strong evidence, strong evidence that Hamas is targeting civilians. And that's not surprising because that's what they do. That's what terrorists do. They target civilians, opening fire, setting off bombs. This is what terrorists do. And this is how you know whether these are terrorists or not. If the goal is to have a military engagement, military against military, then military targets are selected and preferred. When one faction 
specifically targets random civilians, not enemy combatants. If they regard Israel as an enemy, okay, then your enemy's military is the target, right? Not with terrorists. It's the people of Israel. It's Israel whole cloth they want to target. And so they'll pick soft targets. And for that matter, because this is a comprehensive, long-standing conflict between Palestine, I should say, the Arabs of Palestine, the Palestinians are Arabs. Because this is a long-standing conflict, they want the optics. They want terror and chaos. Firing rockets indiscriminately, whatever those rockets hit, as long as they kill Israelis, as long as they kill Jews, Hamas is content. Hamas is happy. And when, not if, when IDF launches counterattacks, counterstrikes, if any Palestinian civilians are killed because the rockets were being fired from homes, from hospitals, from schools, far too much of the world's corporate news media will show you those images and shame the government of the nation of Israel and the military of Israel for harming civilians. This has been the way of things. This has been the trend for decades. It is proof of what Sun Tzu said long ago, all warfare is deception. That is to say, it's propaganda. But why does the larger world outside of the Middle East run interference for Hamas, run interference for the Palestinian Arabs and the surrounding Arab nations when they attack Israel, when they threaten Israel, when they attack civilians, when they terrorize the population of Israel? Why does the corporate news media in the West run interference? Well, it's very simple. The Arab world, the Islamic world, has a lot of people, covers a lot of territory, and just as these villains are relating to Israel, Western nations know that these Muslims will so also relate to people of other countries. If they object, if they say that is not okay, that is wrong, that is immoral, that is evil, this is one of the biggest reasons that America was attacked on 9-11 by a coalition of Muslims. This is why the Twin Towers were knocked down, chiefly because America had the back of and was supporting and was endorsing and legitimizing and helping to protect Israel. And the Muslims are driven insane by this fact. Non-Muslim troops being in Muslim countries, non-Muslim governments saying this is how it's going to be, infuriates hardline Muslims. So we were regarded as the great Satan because we stood by Israel. And therefore also, corporate news media and the governments of Western nations will consistently turn a blind eye to abusive actions, terroristic engagement from Muslim countries and from terrorist organizations when directed against Israel, when Israel defends the people of Israel from terrorism. Then you'll hear about it. Then you'll hear about civilian casualties and how Israel has a responsibility to be more restrained. Do check out the link to Ryan Savedra's reporting at the Daily Wire. 
and do scroll through the embedded tweets. Do see that this is not just dots on a map where rockets are said to have landed across Israel. Look at the photos. Look at the video. If you're unclear about this, if you're undecided about this, and know that this is a spiritual conflict. This is old hat. This is nothing new. Everything we're reading about in 1 Samuel chapter 12, everything we've been reading about through the book of Judges, about these surrounding nations who by turn came in and oppressed, attacked, plundered Israel, made war against Israel. What we were reading in the previous chapter about the Ammonites responding to plea for a treaty from the men of Jabesh Gilead. Yes, we will have a treaty on one condition that you let us gouge out all your right eyes so that we can disgrace Israel. That is a feature of the relationship of Israel to surrounding nations, and it has been for thousands of years. What we find with the Palestinian Arabs is that they are descended from forefathers who related to Israel in this way, the forefathers of the Israelites, or the Israelis as we call them now. These men launching rockets into Israel now and today, firing at men, women, and children who are non-combatants in Israel, intentionally, not accidentally, trying to spread as much chaos, as much fear, as much panic, trying to crush the will of Israel, trying to disgrace Israel for the whole world to see. These Palestinian Arabs who are targeting Israeli civilians, they want nothing short of destroying Israel as a nation. For decades, the surrounding nations have said, no, we are not going to allow the Palestinian Arabs to come into our countries where we speak the same language, we have the same religion. We're not going to allow the Palestinian Arabs to come here and get out of this conflict. No, no, we're going to keep them there in close proximity to the Israelis so that they will always be a thorn in the side of Israel. And in the case of Iran, backing Hamas, funding Hamas, spurring on Hamas, and giving the muscle that backs up the terroristic actions of Hamas. Iran wants war. It's just a question of when. This is why it's so dangerous that Iran is pursuing nuclear weapons. This is also why it's so dangerous that Democrats here in the United States, just like they're transgressive on issue after issue domestically, they're also transgressive when it comes to their posture towards Iran. They are content, these Democrats in the United States, to have Iran do whatever it's going to do. And as a matter of fact, under Barack Obama and now Joe Biden, Iran has a relatively free hand to do whatever Iran will do. In fact, as a matter of fact, Iran recently bragged at the United Nations, which is hosted in New York City, of all places, bragged about how they are continuing to pursue. They have not given up on the idea of targeting and punishing. Donald Trump, for one, former president of the United States of America and members of his cabinet, members of his administration, because of the killing of one of their top military minds during Trump's administration. Killed because 
Iran kept on behaving very badly, behaving very wickedly towards America and her allies. He was killed, and Iran says that they are still targeting Trump and members of his administration, members of his cabinet that contributed to that decision, helped to make it happen. And now that you realize that is the other side of the equation, find it very odd how much money, how many concessions, how much latitude Barack Obama and Joe Biden now have given to Iran. Realize also this whole narrative that Trump all along was this Russian plant or he was working with America's enemies. Oh, he loves dictators. He loves villains like Kim Jong-un and Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping. He compliments them publicly. He says that they're very smart. No, don't look so hard at what he said about them or the fact that he could meet with them and talk with them. Look at what he did. Look at what Trump's administration did. And in reverse, don't listen to tough talk every now and then from Obama and Biden with regards to these actors. Look at what they've done. They have given a free hand to the worst villains of the world. And who knows where this could end. This is a major escalation, the likes of which we haven't seen for several years. But it's not just a major escalation. What Hamas is doing, attacking Israel, Israel now being in a state of war against Hamas, that's not so new. But what is very curious is, as time goes on, Iran gets closer and closer to being able to deploy nuclear weapons against Israel, which we should not be at all surprised they would do. What's going on in Ukraine with Russia is a proxy war between the United States and China. But you have to understand that China and Russia and Iran and North Korea are all in alignment. They are all aligned and they will all line up together to make war on Israel, NATO, the United States. They will all line up on the same side together. And so even just this, this brush fire here in Israel, if I can be forgiven for calling it that, this can very easily escalate into an all-out war between Iran and Israel. For that matter, what's going on in Ukraine? I'm rather persuaded it's not just a proxy war between the United States and China, China backing Russia, the United States and NATO backing Ukraine. But the hope is to draw us in to a general conflict in Ukraine to deplete our supply of munitions and military hardware, and then China will strike at Taiwan. When we are depleted and cannot defend Taiwan against Chinese aggression, or in this case, Iran attacks Israel at a time when we cannot defend Israel against Iranian aggression. It may seem as though this is just terrorists, but don't miss that these terrorists are backed by Iran. Don't miss the fact that these terrorists being backed by Iran, Iran is in league with Russia and China and North Korea. Also, this was not the standard. This was not the way of things when Trump was president for four years. 
And people will say on the left, the propagandists and the brainwashed on the left will say, ah, see, it didn't happen when Trump was president because they were getting everything they wanted. They didn't have to do these things. They were just getting whatever they wanted. No, they were afraid. They were afraid because the governing authority is not supposed to bear the sword for nothing. He's supposed to be able to threaten to wield it and, if needs be, make good on the threat. Trump threatened to bear the sword for something, and we had a strong, booming economy until China and the Democrats conspired together, the globalists conspired together to unleash COVID and then to exploit COVID, to use it as a pretext for purging dissidents from the public square, purging political opponents from office, from positions of authority, censoring all critics in the name of public health. No. You know what's in the interest of public health? Free discourse, free speech, the freedom to cross-examine the first to state his case. Because otherwise, we are all vulnerable to demagoguery and terrorism. And at a certain point, terrorism gives way, if unchecked, if unstopped, terrorism gives way to new regimes. And now you're not talking about some ragtag band of misfits who got their hands on some impressive military hardware. All of a sudden you're talking about state versus state, country versus country, nation versus nation, Axis and allies. You're talking about World War III scenarios. Russia, Iran, China, North Korea. They have less and less time on the clock to make a bold move with Biden at the helm, with Biden president. They have a free hand. And that's why we're seeing these things. Biden and Obama before him, or still behind the scenes, weakening our allies, systematically embarrassing and undermining our allies, all the while giving tough talk, but concessions again and again to enemies. They won't wait, these villains, they won't wait until the 2024 election in the United States to make their moves, not if they're smart, not if they're wise, after a fashion. They will strike before that has been decided to achieve maximum chaos, maximum disruption, particularly if it's looking like someone with some sense, some integrity, who's not bought and paid for, is likely to be replacing Joe Biden and cleaning up America's act in terms of the weaponization of government against American citizens And yes, also against our allies. But then here's the thing. If this escalates into a much bigger conflict, a much bigger war, not just between Hamas and Israel, but if this becomes a war between Iran and Israel, if this becomes a larger war of Axis and allies in a World War III sense, a World War III scenario, you will know that I was not kidding when I said here a couple of years ago, This business with Ukraine is very dangerous, not because it's no big deal that Russia is going into Ukraine, not that Putin is a good guy. No, Putin's a bad guy. It's bad that the Russians are coming into Ukraine, bad for the Ukrainians for sure, very concerning for the rest of the world because of how natural resource rich, how strategically vital Ukraine is to NATO or to Russia for that matter, and by extension, this new axis It's dangerous because of who we have at the helm and that they're not trustworthy. They're not trustworthy from the standpoint of their mental faculties, their competence, their 
honesty and integrity, but maybe more to the point, the principles. They're bad principles. We'll see how it plays out. But I feel badly for the people of Israel. We should pray for the people of Israel. We should pray for the people who are under barrage, being shot at, being terrorized right now. And we should take this as a cautionary tale. We should take the warning that we don't want this to be our circumstance as well. Will we? Time will tell. In other news, though, Corinne Jean-Pierre melts down when Peter Ducey asks basic question about border crisis. I'll play for you now, cut one, here in the U.S. with our own national security, our own borders. How does the conversation go when the spokesperson for this White House, for this administration, is asked a question by a reporter for the at least most conservative corporate news media outlet, Fox News. Peter Ducey with Fox News asking the question here. Listen for how Karine Jean-Pierre responds, and then I'll explain how I think this ties in and needs to be thought of differently with what's going on in Israel this morning. Uh, Thanks, Karine. So what do you call it? here at the White House when 10,000 people illegally cross the border in a single day. So what do you call it, Peter, when GOP puts forth a, a, a wait, no, As no, 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 you can't. Green? I'm answering, okay, we're going to move You're on. You're answering no, a question no, no, with no, a question. No, no, okay. no, 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 we're moving on. Green, moving. please. In the back, no, no, you said you were right, stopping right, the flow the of the border. No, no, I tried to answer, Peter, okay. I tried to answer the question, you stopped me. Let's go. Okay, so, there was footage yesterday of Border Patrol cutting some of the razor wire that Texas had installed. Um, Governor Abbott has vowed to reinstall it. They have picked their, his border czar has pictures of people taking fresh razor wire out to the border to reinstall it. Is there now a federal policy of removing the barriers that Texas is installing? So here's, and, and here's, here's what I'll say. I would have to look into that. I did so, see those reports yesterday. but. As it relates to Governor Abbott, we know what he has done this past uh, these past couple of years while this president uh, has been in office. He's he's turned this when it comes to the border. He's turned this into a political stunt. Okay, and there, there you have it. <laughs> Answering a question with a question, turning it around to actually being the fault of Republicans, and then stopping. Right, it's a good thing that Peter Ducey made a face or shook his head or. Something. It's not seen in this video clip posted to the YouTube account for the White House. All you can see is Corinne Jean-Pierre behind the podium, behind the lectern. And she says, okay, I was trying to answer your question, but you're not going to let me answer. So I guess I'll just ask if somebody else has a question, right? But it's questions all ways around. And it's just the trading back and forth of blame. And even the next question, which I played, I kept that bit of audio in. Who KJP, as she's known shorthand, turns to next, who she calls on next, they ask a question about whether it's the official policy to remove razor wire that Texas is putting up to try and mitigate this invasion on our southern border, whether it is the policy of federal border patrol agencies per this administration in the White House to remove those barriers put up 
on the orders of Governor Abbott, Republican Governor Abbott of Texas. And what does Corinne Jean-Pierre say? She says, well, I'd have to look into that. I'd have to get back with you on that. But what we do know is we know what Abbott has done in recent years. He's turned this into a political stunt. And what is that? That's gaslighting. That is gaslighting and that is character assassination to imply that what Republicans are doing when they do something, right? When Republicans do something on the border, particularly in border states, trying to enforce our national sovereignty and control who comes into the country from outside of the country, when Republicans do something and when they draw attention to how the Biden administration is handling this or not handling it by turn. That's a political stunt, right? It's not a political stunt when the Democrats are doing what they're doing. It's not a political stunt when Karine Jean-Pierre decides to abruptly stop answering the question from Peter Ducey with a question. No, no, that's not a political stunt. It's only a political stunt when the Republicans are involved. But this is no way to govern. This is no way to make decisions together. And this is why there is gridlock. And the gridlock is not necessarily a bad thing if it leads to, at a certain point, all right, let's sit down and let's discuss and let's come to terms. But then how do you come to terms when one side of the political spectrum is saying, we need to have control over who comes into our country from outside of our country, and the other side has a, whatever they want to call it, de facto policy of allowing people into the country, transporting them all around the country, dispersing them throughout the country if they come into the country illegally, and then every so often saying, we just need to naturalize everybody, declare everybody who's here a citizen. How do you come to a compromise between one faction that says, whoever is here (laughs) lawfully, those are the citizens, and the other side says, We want to make anybody who comes here, legally or illegally, a citizen. How do you reconcile, on the one hand, hey, we need to stop people, actively stop them and turn them back and deport them when they get into the country, when we catch them, we send them back to the country that they came from. How do you reconcile? How do you come to a decision between one political party that says that's our position, that's our stance on the border, and the other side says, Absolutely not. That's inhumane. That's harsh. That's unloving. That's unkind. That's not who we are as Americans. Well, no, that is who we are as Americans, that we would defend our nation, that we would protect our country. We wouldn't have a country in the first place if the posture was that we don't defend our country from foreign invasion. And that's what this is. It's an invasion on the southern border. It's completely out of control And it's the fault of this White House. It's the fault of Democrats and their political stunts that things are so out of control on the southern border. But then let's go back to the earlier topic, the previous topic we were discussing, of Israel having their 9-11 moment with Hamas, launching thousands of rockets, targeting civilians, kidnapping civilians, murdering civilians on site, Let's go back to that and let's appreciate that there's nothing special and distinct about Israel that makes Israel uniquely vulnerable to that kind of widespread 
large-scale surprise attack from foreign nationals, from people who hate Israel. There's nothing particular to Israel that is not also particular to the United States of America. And for that matter, too, if we don't have control or even knowledge of who all is coming into our country, but there are, and there have been for several years, widespread reports that we've had a large influx of Chinese nationals. Are they here because they're fleeing persecution in China at the hands of the Chinese Communist Party? Or are they here as agents of the Chinese Communist Party? When we find Qurans and Islamic prayer shawls on the border with Mexico, when we find weapons, when we have known Islamic terrorists sometimes being apprehended, trying to cross the border from Mexico into the U.S. And that's just when we catch them. That's just when we know that they're coming across. So we know that they're coming across more than just when we know that they're coming across. At some point, shouldn't we be concerned that a widespread, large-scale attack on American civilians of the kind which is currently unfolding in Israel is going to happen here in the United States. And then what, right? Then if this is the script, if what Korean Sean Pierre responds to Peter Ducey like is the pattern and it is not interruptible and it's not interrupted, we won't really come to a decision together. You'll just have Democrats saying it's all Republicans' fault. It's every time the Republicans wouldn't just do what we wanted to do to blame. And of course, you'll have Republicans saying, ah, but look at however many billions of dollars you gave to Iran, that kind of thing. Look at federal agents actively interfering with state border patrol efforts. My point being, we have a double-mindedness and it's not just a disagreement. It's not just a disagreement that we can sit down and work out. There is an animus. There is a, at best, antipathy between Republicans and Democrats, but I would say there's more than that. I would say there is a hatred of Republicans for Democrats and Democrats for Republicans. It's mutual. And this White House has not helped things at all, empowering the radical left, having a very hands-off approach to enforcing our national sovereignty. It's one thing to make some tortured argument about how we should cut blank checks to Ukraine to protect Ukraine's borders with Russia. It's one thing for us to make some tortured argument about how no price is too high. Just keep on sending weapons and ammunition and military hardware, military equipment, military technology. No price is too high because they have a right to defend themselves. And this is in our national security interest. But then here in the U.S., here in the U.S., we're not enforcing our own borders. We're not enforcing our own national sovereignty. So wait a second. If we're prioritizing correctly here, wouldn't we say in order for us to be of help to Ukraine, we have to be a country that can maintain equilibrium? Wouldn't we say in order for us to keep on sending military hardware, we have to be able to keep on producing military hardware? In order to send money, we have to keep on generating wealth on our own here? At a certain point, if we stop generating wealth, 
if we stop having the capacity to make decisions together, we're no help to anybody. And I think we're rapidly approaching the point where that's just what it is. Out and out. At this point, it's still just, oh, I'm going to cut you off and turn to somebody else. I'm just not even going to talk to you. Why? Because you were shaking your head in disapproval. You were shaking your head as I was answering with a question to turn it around on Republicans. No, no, no. No, we're going to call on somebody else, Peter. No, Peter. No, Peter. No, Peter. Nope. And this is petty. This is childish. But what this resembles, friends, what this resembles is a dysfunctional married couple that can't even make a decision about where to go for supper. Where are they going to go as a family to get some dinner? Which restaurant in town? They can't even make a decision about what movie to watch. This is what started in the home as dysfunctional marriages, broken families, broken homes, now playing itself out on a repeating pattern in our national politics. This is where you find the talk of a national divorce, searching for language to describe how Republicans and Democrats really can't make decisions together on this basis, haven't been doing it very successfully. Every time the Democrats, and Karine Jean-Pierre is a perfect spokesperson for the Democrats, every time the Democrats want what they want, well, then they just nag and badger. They are a contentious woman, those Democrats. And Republicans, meanwhile, at a certain point, being the besieged husband, being the husband Proverbs talks about who would rather live on the corner of a rooftop than with a contentious woman. At a certain point, the Republicans say no. And then what, right? Then everything is the fault of the Republicans who said no. This is a repeating pattern for the Democrats. They can't argue their case on its merits. So what do they do? They blame everything on the other side, unless the other side just gives them whatever they want. Because of course they know best, right? Of course they know what's best, but no, they don't. Every time they get what they want, it works out badly. And then when confronted on the bad results of their foolish policies, their foolish decisions, they say, ah, well, it's just because you tried to stop me from doing the thing. See, that was the whole problem in the first place. If you just wouldn't have reduced my capacity to do whatever I was wanting to do there, it would have succeeded. You talk about political stunts. How is it a political stunt when Republicans point to what the Democrats are doing and not doing, and they say, hey, here are the bad effects of your foolish policies. Vote for me instead, or let's get this person out of office. Here are the effects of their decisions, of their policies. Here's what we're doing that is making it better, and you can see how it's making it better. How is that a political stunt? I think that's just the political process. But what is increasingly objected to by the Democrats is sharing power with Republicans at all. And that's not necessarily a new thing. But then again, the way in which they articulate, the way in which they craft the narrative and present the optics is increasingly petulant. It's increasingly childish. It's increasingly hollow, but then decreasingly do they care whether it's petulant because they as they see it, have the institutions. They have the power to control the narrative by way of social media, by way of 
the corporate news media by way of a lot of people in the middle who just want mom and dad to stop fighting. Mom, dad, stop fighting. They're banking on making it so uncomfortable and controlling the narrative about it. And they're banking on people wanting the path of least resistance, which unfortunately is another thing we've practiced in a lot of our homes. Take the path of least resistance. Two kids are fighting. Parents come in late to the game. Everybody is in trouble. Well, but wait a second. Hold on. Now this one is arguing their innocence. They were being picked on. No, 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 no. And now the one who's arguing in their own defense, arguing their innocence, is even more in trouble. And the other one who is just not going to go along with changing their behavior they get a pass. Because why? Because laziness. Because what we want more than anything is just peace. But then we say peace, peace, and there is no peace. The Democrats can say that the southern border is being maintained. No, we don't have a crisis. Or if we do, it's all the Republicans' fault. But as soon as illegal immigrants are bused to places like New York City, Chicago, Martha's Vineyard, as soon as that starts to happen, as soon as Boston can't give hotel rooms to out-of-town moms, dads, siblings, cousins, friends who want to watch the Army-Navy football game because all the hotel rooms are occupied by illegal immigrants, well, then, now we have a crisis, right? When the illegal immigrants who were overwhelming the capacity of border town, border state cities to integrate, to house, feed, employ, educate. That wasn't a crisis, but now it's a crisis when Democrats have to deal with it, which is to say they were wanting all of the benefits without any of the costs. As soon as they start to pay the costs, well, now it's Republicans' fault. Well, wait a second. <laughs> what the Republicans were proposing was building a wall on the southern border and rounding up people who are here illegally and sending them back where they came from. That's what Republicans were proposing. And Republicans who supported that, who were not squishy, too ready to cut a deal, those Republicans were likened to Nazis. Wait a second. Wait a second. We're not talking about rounding up Hispanics who have been here for generations. They're here legally. They're citizens. We're not talking about rounding up people who speak Spanish or their skin complexion is of a certain tone or range of hues. We're talking people we don't know coming into our house without our permission, being stopped from doing so and kicked out, defenestrated if that's what it takes. If they're not here for some very, very good reasons, when we start demanding answers and explanations, that's what Republicans were talking about, was kicking them out. But then what was that turned into? That was turned into, ah, Republicans hate Hispanics. Yes. Republicans are the racists. No, no, no. Republicans want our country to be safe, secure, prosperous, orderly, a nation ruled by laws, not ruled by men. And Americans of all ethnic backgrounds of all skin tones should want that. The alternative, when you don't have control of your southern border, is 
the kind of thing that's playing out right now in Israel. I guarantee you, it is not just some Mexican, Venezuelan, Colombian mom, dad, child coming across the border for a better life in America when we don't have control over our southern border. It's also Muhammad this, Abdul that, coming to fight the great Satan as soon as they're given the go-ahead from Iran. It's also Russian fighters, Russian special forces here to sabotage our infrastructure. It's also Chinese communists here to carry out espionage on American corporations and to steal intellectual property and to break into sensitive government installations and offices and set up surveillance equipment. When we don't have a consensus that that should be stopped, when we don't have a consensus that you need to have control over the southern border and not just let people pour in without identification, without paperwork, without documented permission to come into the country, when we don't have a consensus on that, we are headed for destruction. Uh, We're headed for the dissolution of our country. We're on a course for out-and-out war. Either it will be war with some foreign power, which exploits and has been setting up for years to exploit a conflict between our country and their country or their coalition of countries. We're either waiting for that or we're waiting for an out-and-out civil war. When Republicans and Democrats, the two chief political parties in this country, can't even ask and answer questions in a civil manner with the whole world watching, that just turns into a blame game. But we're not actually debating the issues or what should be done. We're just trying to figure out who to blame. Whose fault is it when it's just character assassination at a certain point as we approach that moment of conflict with some foreign power? Something's got to give, and what might give is not that some foreign power declares war on us, and now we're at war with them out and out because they thought they could cripple us with all these staged terrorists and insurgents in our own country. No, no, what breaks at a certain point is Republicans and Democrats being able to get along well enough to not actually out and out fight each other in the streets and have a civil war. It's not trivial. It's not no big deal that there's so much talk in recent years about a national divorce or another civil war. That's a big, big deal. In part because what can easily come right after that talk turning into a reality is that we do have an out-and-out conflict with a country like Iran, Russia, China, North Korea, all the above, all at the same time, where they exploit our division. And even now, even now as it's rhetoric and it's bureaucratic, it's procedural, it's lawfare, even now they're exploiting it. See also Afghanistan. See also Ukraine. See also Israel. See also the incredible tension over Taiwan. That is the sensing of weakness and a certain paralysis, which quite frankly is the fault of the Democrats. It's the fault of the Democrats. And no, you don't say, well, everybody's equally to blame because Republicans, (laughs) 
They object. Uh, yeah, so they're equally to blame. No, no, no. No, that is laziness. That is not careful. That's not serious. But then, because too many of us have neglected to figure out that that's not the way to resolve disputes in your home, between a wife and a husband, between parents and children, between children and children, because we've neglected that, because we've been lazy and apathetic and indifferent and partial in our homes, in our private lives, the arguments about it not all being the same, Republicans, Democrats, fall on deaf ears, are met with blank stares. What? What do you? No. Why? Because it doesn't compute. It doesn't compute with the whole approach to life, which is typical of those who grew up in broken homes and have, to a large extent, just accepted that a broken home is what it is. That's just normal. That's just what everybody lives like. And the more that becomes statistically common, broken homes, blended families, children born out of wedlock, not knowing their father, having terrible relationships with their mother, not getting along with their siblings, not speaking to their siblings ever again after a certain point once they reach adulthood, the more that's become common, the more that becomes an additional reason to just shrug about it. Oh, yeah, well, that's where everybody's at. See, this is where I really, really appreciate Andrew Clavin over at The Daily Wire. I was watching his most recent podcast episode just yesterday. And the man has a lot of wisdom to share when he says, we need to start with our own private lives. And it's going to take decades. It's going to take decades of diligence. Young men, young women get married, have children. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, it's expensive. Yes, it's stressful. Yes, there are a lot of people who are going to be saying, you can't do it. You can't make it. It's not feasible anymore. Ignore them. Do it anyways. That will save the country have a bunch of kids together, and figure out how to have a healthy, functional, sustainable, long-lasting, honorable, God-honoring, and one another honoring marriage and raise a whole mess of kids in a home where mom and dad model for Johnny and Susie how to work through a disagreement, how to work through a decision about even trivial things when they don't agree and when there's some irritation, there's some fatigue, there's some static You model for the next generation, moms, dads, husbands, wives, model for the next generation how to work through conflict in a healthy way, in a respectful way, in a God-honoring way first and foremost, but then also in a one-another-honoring way, subsequently, consequently. You model for the next generation what that looks like, and our political process will reflect that the next generation knows how to work through conflict in a reasonable way, in a kind way. So long as we keep on defending our harsh words to each other, so long as we keep on taking the path of least resistance, which is to actually just give the loudest, angriest, tantrum thrower whatever they want, whatever you think they'll want, try to give them that ahead of time. So long as we keep on like that, this is just going to get worse and worse until our national destruction. It is that serious. What's at stake here is a life and death existential crisis for the United States of America as a direct result of what we've done to the family, culturally, what we've accepted, what we have normalized in our homes. You may think 
<laughs> politics is local, all politics is local, means what's going on in your city, right? And that's good, right? Pay attention to the decisions that are being made in your city and in your state and in your country. Yes, all politics is local. But then before you care about what politics translate into in the way of opportunities, threats, strengths, weaknesses in your city, your state, your nation. You have to cut your teeth on. You have to pave the way. You have to lay a foundation in your own house, in your own home, in your own family. And if you can't figure that out, well then it's only going to get worse the more you scale up and take your dysfunctional attitudes from the home and transpose them into the city, the state, the nation. That's exactly what people have been doing in this country. That's what we as Americans have been doing for decades. We need someone like Samuel to pray for us that we may not die. For we have added to all of our sins this evil. The antidote is the equal and opposite reaction to our circumstances from what we've been doing. Life gets tough and we grumble and we complain and we whine incessantly Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. We have a disagreement. Do we prefer the other person when it's a trivial thing? Do we go out of our way to demonstrate that we love and honor and respect and value the other person when it's a trivial thing, when it's not good and evil, so that when it does come to a good and evil life or death situation, they trust that we have goodwill, that we do actually love them, we do care about what happens to them, or is every issue, every question the end of the world if it doesn't go our way? If we love God, if we rejoice in the truth, if we do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with our God, well, then what we get is life. We get blessings. But for our next story, our last story for this episode to come full circle, to tie it all together. Consider FBI secretly targeting Trump supporters ahead of 2024 election, labels MAGA followers as domestic violent extremists. Report from Paul Saka over at The Blaze from October 5th. I'll read for you from this bit of reporting, and I quote, the FBI reportedly is secretly targeting supporters of former President Donald Trump ahead of the 2024 election, according to a new report. Reportedly report, 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 It doesn't say that. Sorry, I got tripped up. Continuing on. During a three-month investigation, Newsweek spoke to more than a dozen current or former government officials specializing in terrorism The experts revealed that the FBI is covertly monitoring MAGA Republicans because the domestic intelligence agency suspects that Trump supporters are the greatest threat of violence, possibly even capable of starting a civil war. The in-depth probe reportedly found that the FBI clandestinely created a new category of violent domestic extremists that it intends to target Make America Great Again followers. In October 2022, the Federal Bureau of Investigation created a new subcategory of domestic terrorists labeled AGAVE, A-G-A-A-V-E, which stands for Anti-Government, Anti-Authority, Violent Extremism. The new subcategory is a threat group that is not anarchists, a militia, or sovereign citizen groups. The new classification is officially defined as, quote, 
domestic violent extremists who cite anti-government or anti-authority motivations for violence or criminal activity not otherwise defined, such as individuals motivated by a desire to commit violence against those with a real or perceived association with a specific political party or faction of a specific political party, end quote. The outlet reported, quote, Government insiders acknowledged to Newsweek that although they are not named specifically the Agave Other title applies to political violence associated with Trump supporters, end quote. Quote, it was a subtle change, little noticed, but a gigantic departure for the Bureau. Quote, Trump and his army of supporters were acknowledged as a distinct category of domestic violent extremists, even as the FBI was saying publicly that political views were never part of its criteria to investigate or prevent domestic terrorism. Where the FBI sees threats is also plain from the way it categorizes them, a system which on the surface is designed to appear nonpartisan. <clears throat> excuse me, nonpartisan. This shifted subtly days after the events of January 6th, when it comes to what the Bureau calls agave, end quote. The FBI said in a statement to Newsweek, quote, the threat posed by domestic violent extremists is persistent, evolving, and deadly. The FBI's goal is to detect and stop terrorist attacks, and our focus is on potential criminal violations, violence, and threats of violence. Anti-government or anti-authority violent extremism is one category of domestic terrorism as well as one of the FBI's top threat priorities. We are committed to protecting the safety and constitutional rights of all Americans and will never open an investigation based solely on First Amendment protected activity, including a person's political beliefs or affiliations. End quote. An anonymous senior intelligence official told Newsweek, quote, We've crossed the Rubicon. Trump's army constitutes the greatest threat of violence domestically, politically, that's the reality and the problem set. That's what the FBI as a law enforcement agency has to deal with. But whether Trump and his supporters are a threat to national security, to the country, whether they represent a threat of civil war, that's a trickier question. And that's for the country to deal with, not the FBI. The Federal Bureau of Investigation and Department of Homeland Security issued a report to Congress that warned, here is a quote from that report, the IC assesses that domestic violent extremists, DVEs, who are motivated by a range of ideologies and galvanized by recent political and societal events in the United States, pose an elevated threat to the homeland in 2021, enduring DVE motivations pertaining to biases against minority populations and perceived government overreach will almost certainly continue to drive DVE radicalization and mobilization to violence. Newer sociopolitical developments such as narratives of fraud in the recent general election, the emboldening impact of the violent breach of the U.S. Capitol, conditions related to the COVID-19 pandemic, and conspiracy theories promoting violence will almost certainly spur some DVEs to try to engage in violence this year, end quote. Newsweek noted that by the FBI zeroing in on Trump supporters, the federal agency, quote, runs the risk of provoking the very anti-government activists that the terrorism agencies hope to counter, end quote. Now, we'll just stop right there, right? There's more to this article, several paragraphs more, but let's just stop right there and appreciate what is being admitted by Newsweek. This action targeting Trump supporters, focusing in on Trump supporters as a threat to the homeland itself can become the catalyst by which it becomes true that these people who support Trump so much and they support the Make America Great Again agenda so much would become violent. That's not a minor point. That's a major point. 
And just for a quick test of this, who killed whom in North Dakota over a dispute, an argument that got out of hand, it got heated about politics, about Democrats and Republicans, about Make America Great Again, about Donald Trump. Who killed whom in North Dakota? Running his political opponent over with his vehicle, running him down and running him over. Who killed whom? Was it a Make America Great Again MAGA extremist Republican who ran over a Democrat who was saying, no, Trump is this bad guy and we all need to be more concerned about... No, no, no. it was a Democrat who ran over a 18-year-old young man, ran him over and then backed over him. It was a Democrat who ran over a Make America Great Again Republican. For that matter too, if you'll remember in recent years, the Black Lives Matter protests, mostly peaceful, fiery, but mostly peaceful, the Chiron at CNN said, with live footage of burning buildings in the background behind the reporter for CNN. The Black Lives Matter riots set cities across the U.S. on fire. Glass was shattered. Businesses were looted. Innocent civilians were beaten and shot and stabbed, terrorized. Who initiated those BLM riots, those Antifa riots? Who initiated the violence in Kenosha, Wisconsin, or Minneapolis, Minnesota, or Portland, Oregon, or Baltimore, Maryland? Who initiated the violence? Was it Make America Great Again, MAGA extremists, MAGA Republicans, or were those violent actions at scale across the country initiated by radical leftists? And for that matter, who ran interference for those radical leftists, the corporate news media? January 6th was supposed to be this evening of the odds, where domestic extremism, so-called terrorism is a better word for it, was only happening on the left. January 6th was a setup. It was made for TV. It was a trap. It was a setup to try and shift all of the momentum, all of the concern about lawless behavior to scrutinizing Republicans. And for that matter, when it's the Democrats, when it's Democrats and Democrat politicians are not much better, but when it's the Democrats who are activists threatening violence, carrying out violent actions to advance their political agenda for years and years and years and years. And then the Republicans show up wearing trucker hats and waving American flags, angry at what they perceive to be, with merit, a stolen election, panicked, really, truly, panicked about the destruction of their country happening in real time. That's what the corporate news media related to as an event worse than 9-11, worse than Pearl Harbor. When Democrats do a hundred times more for year after year after year of this election cycle, the previous election cycle, the previous one to that, the corporate news media downplays it, sympathizes, presents favorable coverage, 
and then invites carefully curated and selected pundits and commentators and lawmakers and activists and supposed experts on to talk about how, well, you know, some of these claims are legitimate and we should listen. We should really listen to what's being said when it's Republicans who show up to protest and it is actually a peaceful protest. Well, the optics are very bad for the Democrat agenda and for the uniparty establishment, Republicans and Democrats alike who don't want the disruption of the status quo. They don't want the norms being upset. And so they're willing to upend all of the norms to paint even just peaceful protesting by Republicans at scale, if they have to cover it at all, to present that as dangerous. If it's so dangerous, then why are we not seeing in America ever Republicans going house to house like Palestinians are going house to house in Israel this morning? If it's such a danger, all of these MAGA Republicans who are concerned about infringement on their First Amendment rights and their Second Amendment rights, not hypothetical, but actual, real-time, I'm still not on Twitter, by the way, for instance. You have real, not hypothetical, not imagined infringements and talk of even just suspending certain rights for the most tortured of reasons which all really just boil down to one reason, the Democrats want to pursue their policy initiatives, their political agenda. When Republicans have been portrayed, MAGA Republicans have been portrayed as these dangerous domestic terrorists in the making, why don't we see ever Republicans setting fire to American cities the way that BLM was, the way that Antifa was? Why don't we ever see Republicans going house to house the way that Hamas is going house to house in Israel. Now, we did see something like Democrats, radical leftists, going house to house during the BLM riots. And we did see individuals going online and threatening that they were going to go into the suburbs and start going house to house, making these white people, these systemically racist, microaggressing white people afraid again. No such from Republicans. And how I know is if there was that happening from Republicans, you would be hearing all about it all day, every day. All these Republicans who own firearms and want to keep on owning firearms, who say things that the Democrats are upset by online and in real life, which are supposedly violence towards oppressed minority, marginalized individuals and groups. If it's such a threat of domestic violent extremism, And then Newsweek says the FBI zeroing in on Trump supporters, the federal agency, quote, runs the risk of provoking the very anti-government activists that the terrorism agencies hope to counter, end quote. You have to understand, you have to appreciate that there are Democrats that want this to stick. They want that kind of a reaction. They wanted it on January 6th, that they didn't get more from planting FBI agents to stir it up and to create the self-fulfilling prophecy so that they could have the optics, so that they could pursue their agenda with a free hand against Trump supporters, Trump voters, vocal critics of the Democrats and the bureaucratic state, that they didn't get more of the optics that they wanted hasn't stopped them. And they're still pursuing this agenda, this narrative. They want to play it day after day, all day, every day, just like 
they did with Trump. And that's where Trump was telling us the truth. He was absolutely right when he said that they're coming after me so they can get to you. I stand between them and you, and that's why they're coming after me. And that's why I've been saying, even if you don't like Trump, if you don't like his policies, you don't like the things he says, you don't like him as a person, you should be very, very concerned that everything that's being done towards him is absolutely in the works to be done to those who've been his most vocal supporters, his most vocal defenders, who have joined in a chorus with him of criticizing the radical left and globalism and the bureaucratic state. Because here's the thing, when this is so open to interpretation and they've already indicated that they are directing their efforts with a view to the violent breach of the U.S. Capitol, they can say, oh, we're not targeting anybody on the basis of exercising First Amendment protected free speech rights. But what all is contained within anti-government, that being the label, anti-government, anti-authority, what all is contained within that? Is that not a broad mandate to go after people who are critical of the actions of the statements of the principles of Democrats? Are we not talking about those who are critical of the government response to COVID when COVID is brought up? Conditions related to the COVID-19 pandemic and conspiracy theories promoting violence. Now, wait a second. What does promoting violence mean? Does that mean when you call for violence, you're promoting violence? Or even just if people get upset at you connecting dots and they might hypothetically become violent, well, we've got to shut that down. People might get upset and become violent because you're saying these things. For instance, for example, if you say there's a mountain of evidence that Biden has been taking huge bribes for decades from foreign nationals with his son, Hunter Biden, his brother being the bag man, they go and have the conversation. They pass along the information back and forth, make the deal, collect the money, and then Joe Biden delivers the goods. If I say that, if I lay out the case for that, or let's say, for instance, I go and I protest at an abortion clinic and people working for the abortion clinic say, I don't feel safe. And they call to complain. They say, oh, we don't feel safe because these protesters are here and they're saying this is murder. Well, you can't say that this is murder because, well, we know what we do with murderers and it, uh, you know, it might lead to violence, right? Because somebody somewhere set fire to an abortion clinic or they blew up an abortion clinic or they targeted abortion doctors. Therefore, when you start talking about abortion as murder, we're going to have to investigate. We're going to have to shut you down for that matter too. With regards to Second Amendment rights, if the effort of this administration is to ban so-called high-capacity magazines, so-called assault weapons, to create a registry for pistol braces, to ban so-called ghost guns, and when there are tens of millions of Americans who have those who overnight can be declared felons, and if you have Republicans who say, hey, this is a major problem that you want to register our firearms or you want to confiscate our firearms or you want to declare us felons, this is a major problem that you're infringing on our Second Amendment rights, even as our recent memory 
brings pictures to mind, images, and audio of radical leftists torching American cities, looting, rioting, beating, stabbing, shooting, anybody they regarded as a so-called white supremacist, but a white supremacist could be literally just somebody wearing a Make America Great Again hat, flying an American flag, voting Republican, when that's the way of things. And then you get some like me exercising our First Amendment rights to say, hey, this is a major problem. This is a major escalation that the Democrats are trying to register your firearms, create a database of who has which firearms and where they live. Well, then is that under this umbrella of anti-government, anti-authority that the FBI is running counter-extremism operations, really counter-terrorism operations in the U.S. to confront, to monitor. Oh, because they could potentially start a civil war. Well, wait a second. Wait, 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 wait. When you start surveilling me (laughs) because I vote Republican, because I'm critical of the public education system, because I'm critical of a open southern border because I'm critical of your efforts to infringe on Second Amendment rights for otherwise law-abiding Americans. But then if you just change the laws again and again and again to prevent our capacity to defend ourselves, to defend life and limb and property, if you put me on a list and you start surveilling me and then all of a sudden I'm not allowed to speak anymore, am I anti-government, am I anti-authority, or am I anti being treated like an enemy because you're treating me like an enemy. Increasingly, the rhetoric from Joe Biden and the Democrats in recent years has been to classify Trump as not just a political opponent, but as an enemy. To classify people who worked in his administration, not just as countrymen with whom we disagree, but as enemies. The reporting from Paul Saka over at The Blaze drives this point home. Senator Gary Peters Returning to that article, this is a quote from Paul Saka's reporting. A Democrat representing Michigan who is chairman of the Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee claimed that the FBI isn't doing enough to fight the, quote, full scope of white supremacist terrorist attacks, end quote. Where are these terrorist attacks occurring, please? White supremacist terrorist attacks, where? Which attacks would these be? Would these be the attacks in your imagination? I I don't know what terrorist attacks you're talking about. White supremacist terrorist attacks. Please list off a few, if you would, if you would be so kind. President Joe Biden has repeatedly claimed that the MAGA movement is a threat to the country. In May 2022, Biden said of Trump supporters, quote, because this MAGA crowd is really the most extreme political organization that's existed in American history in recent American history, end quote. In August 2022, Biden said the MAGA philosophy is, quote, like semi-fascism, end quote. In September 2022, Biden said, quote, Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans represent an extremism that threatens the very foundations of our republic, end quote. A senior intelligence official who works at the office of the director of national intelligence explained that, quote, Biden's rhetoric on domestic terrorism could goad his opponents into taking more extreme action, particularly those who have lost their faith in elections, or believe the system is rigged against them, end quote. Now, wait a second. Do we believe that the system is rigged against us, or is the system rigged against us? Therein lies the question that makes all the difference in the world. Who is the aggressor here? Who is the instigator? Who is the villain? 
and who is merely trying to salvage what can be salvaged of a country that once made space for both Republicans and Democrats, both conservatives and progressives, to debate our disagreements, our alternative ideas in the public square. When they are admitting that, yes, this rhetoric could actually inflame, could actually instigate the very thing that they're predicting, what they're describing is wish-casting. As in, the Democrats wish that this description would stick, and so what? On January 6th, when the FBI puts agents, plainclothes agents, into the crowd, some, there's strong reason to believe, were actually carrying out the violent actions themselves and calling for Trump supporters to carry out violent actions themselves. When the FBI refuses to comment on ongoing investigations and operations, but they're not saying no, that that didn't happen, when there's strong evidence that it did happen, how do you know whether anybody who is accused of being this MAGA extremist actually was a MAGA extremist? How do you know that this isn't a false flag attack? How do you know that this isn't scheming on the part of very clever, very dishonest, very unscrupulous people to paint their political opponents in such a way as to make them enemies, to make them outlaws, really effectively to outlaw dissent and to make it to where they don't have to share power. They don't have to have elections that are free and fair. In fact, they can't, right? Create the pretext, make the argument for why you can't afford, we can't afford to have free and fair elections. What this is setting up really is the truth of what Tucker Carlson has recently been saying. Some things are going to happen in this election cycle that are going to really surprise us. They can't let Trump be president again. But then when he's not president, if he's the Republican nominee and if they don't let him become president, if they kill him or if they cheat, if they lock him up on trumped up charges, no pun intended, and if his supporters recognize that that is a coup d'etat, not on Trump, but on our form of government. That is the action of an enemy of our constitution, our bill of rights. If a lot of Republicans, a lot of Americans say, that's it. It's time to fight. Who instigated? You know, this is just like the math that needs to be done in the situation in Israel. So Palestine, the Gaza Strip, inhabited by quite a lot of Arabs, Palestinian Arabs, but really just Arabs, angry in perpetuity at Israel being a Jewish state, an expressly, explicitly, self-consciously, avowedly Jewish state in a sea of Islamic republics, sultanates, monarchies. Palestinian Arabs carry out knife attacks, bombings, shootings, kidnappings. They torture Israeli men, women, and children if they can snatch them up. They're doing it right now. We don't even know how many Israeli men, women, and children have been captured by Palestinians, taken back into Gaza to be held for ransom, but in the meantime, they will be raped, they will be tortured, and some of them will be killed for the fun of it. Why? The narrative of 
those who support the Palestinian cause, who defend the Palestinian Arabs, is that the Palestinians are oppressed and Israel is the oppressor. How do you know? Well, because look at how poor the Palestinians are. Look at the conditions they live in. That's how you know. Look how wealthy Israel is. Look how strong Israel is. That's how you know who's the oppressor and who's the oppressed. But what is that? That's critical theory. That's Marxism. Insofar as the Muslim world hates America for supporting Israel and Israel's right to exist, therefore Israel's right to defend itself, just like that, Democrats, as a rule, are hostile to Israel's right to exist and right to defend itself because Republicans are so strongly supportive and also because the Democrats are captive to critical theory, not just critical race theory, but you can apply that here. Ah, it's racism, right? If the Israelis strike back on Hamas positions in Gaza, because now it's war, right? It's an out and out war, not just a terrorist action. No, no, this is a war. And it's a war, not just between Israel and Hamas, but really between Israel and Iran. If Israel strikes back, and civilians are killed, this is the repeating pattern, Israel is a terrorist state. That's what the defenders of the Palestinian Arab narrative will claim. It's the same dividing line here in America with regards to make America great again. Republicans, we are hit and threatened and bullied and harassed, maligned, lied about again and again and again and again and again. And if at a certain point we object, ah, see, that just proves our point that we should have been doing more to silence you, more to marginalize you, more to keep you from having any kind of political power to speak of. When the norms are being referred to, recognize that's a euphemism for the status quo, whatever the status quo is. But if the status quo doesn't find Biden's crackhead son leaving the laptop at the repair store and forgetting to pick it back up again. And it's a treasure trove of photos, emails, receipts on a long sorted career of criminal activity, really traitorous and treasonous behavior. When the status quo, when the norm in part is that that's no big deal. And we're even going to censor media outlets and private citizens who want to spread an awareness of this in an election year, when that's part of the norm, you have to understand their euphemism is for supporters of voters who supported and still support the underlying premise in Make America Great Again. This is what we would call exactly the kind of corruption that Trump was voted in to clean up. Yes, we know he's upsetting the norms. That's why we voted for him, because these norms have made some few very wealthy, very rich. And then they say, we're experts. Well, how do we know that you're experts? Because look how successful we are. Look at the house we live in. Look at the vehicles we drive. Look at how we globetrot. Look at all the people who have us sit on panels and councils and committees. Well, how did you get on some of those committees and councils and panels? How did you get some of those ambassadorships, some of those primo jobs that you were able to get into. How did you get such exorbitant speaking fees in the first place? Well, quite simply, you got into those positions in some cases because you paid the money right back that you were able to make 
being complicit in corruption. That is to say, you bribed, just like you took bribes, you bribed in return. And so these bribes just go back and forth. And it's this economy that perverts justice within our government and the people who don't get the bribes, who don't get those cushy, tenured positions, those illustrious ambassadorships, who don't work in the administration, who don't benefit from the spoil system, when they don't have the big mansion in the nicest part of some blue state, when they don't drive the big, fancy, expensive cars, and they don't globetrot, you take all of that as evidence that, see, this is why they shouldn't be entrusted with political power. This is why, if they have a position, if they have an opinion, if they have questions, if they are critical of what their government is doing with their tax dollars and in their name, we've got to marginalize them. And it's not enough, right? At first, it was, oh, it's a basket of deplorables, right? Let's see if we can make the term racist stick to them. Let's see if we can make them into sexists and misogynists and homophobes and transphobes. All of that failing, the next ploy is to call us terrorists. Even if just our being critical, our disagreeing could possibly maybe even just slightly nudge somebody hypothetically towards violent action, got to shut it down. You got to shut down our ability to speak. But then what does that turn into? That very quickly turns into the national divorce and the civil war rhetoric. So then battle lines are being drawn and everybody's going to their corner. And then one side that has been aggravating and instigating and provoking for decades says, ah, see, the other side's going to their corner right? See, this is what, this is what we expected. This is exactly what we predicted. Yeah. And you set it up. You went to your corner and behaved maliciously towards your political opponents. You weaponized the federal government to go after political opponents at home. And when they objected, when they drew attention to it, you said, ah, see, they're behaving like enemies. No, you regarded them as enemies in the first place. And then you went after them. And when you went after them, if they tried to object and defend themselves, you say that that is proof that you should have been going after them all along. It doesn't work like that. That's not fair. How would it be if some criminal went into a gas station and pointed a gun at the person behind the counter and said, give me a pack of smokes, empty out the cash register, hand over your watch, or I'm going to shoot you. And then the person behind the counter said, Oh, okay, and made like he was going to comply. And then the first opportunity that the guy trying to hold him up, trying to rob him, was distracted, the guy behind the counter grabbed his own gun and shot the perpetrator. If it followed the pattern that we are seeing again and again for decades with the radical left seizing these institutions, corporate news media, social media, the educational establishment, bureaucratic state. If it followed the pattern, you know what the headline would be tomorrow? Poor, hungry citizen shot by a gas station attendant while trying to get some cigarettes. And they would paint this sympathetic portrait of the guy who came into the gas station because he ran out of smokes, hadn't had a square meal in three days, And he was just really hungry and he was going to take this money and 
use it to feed his family. And, you know, he had to have the gun with him because, you know, if he didn't have the gun with him, then this guy behind the counter would have just shot him sooner, right? No, wait a second. First things first, let's establish whose gas station that was. Who had a right to be behind that counter with access to the till? Who was doing what they were supposed to be doing and they had every right to be doing? And who was the aggressor? Who was the lawless man in this situation? Not the guy defending his gas station, defending his cash register, defending his person from a violent criminal. But then how do the rules change when we're talking about radical leftists who seize institutional power in our country and then claim all of their radical agenda pursuit is because the deck is stacked against minorities. No, no, no. The deck has been stacked in favor of minorities for decades. You're using all of the wrong mechanisms to create equality of outcome when what you should be focused on, if you were approaching governmental authority, the civil sphere in a godly way, what you should be doing is using equal weights and measures. What you should have been doing is rewarding those who do what is good and punishing those who do what is evil instead of campaigning on the normalization of transgression. When somebody says, hey, listen, that's transgressive. That's wrong. That's an evil thing to do. That's not true. That thing you just said, well, who cares, right? You can't say who cares about right and wrong, good and evil, true and false, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, and then when a large portion of the country is on their last dime, they've run out of patience and they object and they protest and they complain and they criticize, you say, ah, see, this is why you people need us to make all your decisions. What? No, that's abusive. That is sick. That's corrupt. That's wicked. But then, again, on the other hand, it shouldn't be surprising. It shouldn't be surprising for a country that embraced secularism, embraced godlessness, and de facto atheism. It shouldn't be surprising to us that this is where we're at. This is where every marriage will go in time. This is where every household and family will go in time. This is where every country will end up in time. And this is why these kinds of moments crop up throughout history in every country. Every country has an origin story and also moments of crisis wherein people stop agreeing to disagree. They stop working through their differences in a peaceable way for the greater good of their country. One side says, no, it's going to be this way. We don't care how you feel. We don't care what this does to you. We're going to get ours, stay out of our way. And the other side says, and the other side might say for a time, okay, all right, all right, well, I'll give you that too, and I'll give you this concession, I'll give you that concession. And then they start doing the math, and they realize, you know what? They're not stopping. They're not going to stop until they've completely humiliated and disgraced me, just like in First Samuel chapter 11. You get the Ammonites coming in saying, oh yeah, we'll make a treaty with you, men of Jabesh Gilead. We'll make a treaty with you on one condition— you let us gouge out all your right eyes so that all Israel will be disgraced. That's where the Democrats are at now. That's what's being conveyed by Corinne Jean-Pierre, White House press secretary, when she says, no, 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 Peter, Peter, Peter. No, I was trying to answer your question. You won't let me answer your question. We're going to move on. They're so blinded by their hatred towards Republicans 
And they're so consumed with the perverse joy of goading Republicans and waiting until somebody gives them an excuse to go after us in a big way. They don't see how weak, how vulnerable they themselves are to some foreign potentate or some demagogue here in this country rising to power over us and giving them a taste of their own medicine. And I'm not saying a Republican. I'm saying somebody on the left, somebody who's going to be a Stalin, somebody who's going to be a Mao and is going to do what they do to the Republicans, but far better, far more ruthlessly, far more efficiently, and he's going to do it to them too. Then you'll start to see the change of heart like happened in Russia, like happened in China. By the time the people who had delighted in doing what was evil towards their political opponents in their own country, by the time they realized what a monster they had created, it was too late for them. And there was nowhere to go. To object would mean the destruction of themselves and their families, everything they had built up being burned down before their eyes, themselves being labeled anti-revolutionaries, sent off to the gulags, if they were lucky, but more likely given a show trial publicly before a swift execution, being unpersoned. These radical leftists are creating exactly the same conditions as have been created in one communist hellscape after another. And that's why it's small potatoes that Trump tweeted mean things. It's a relatively minor, trivial thing. If you like his tone when he objects, let's do keep perspective here as to what is happening on the other end of the political equation. This is lawlessness. Disguising itself in the trappings of following protocols, but it's a farce. Again, again, this is very, very simple. The FBI saying we're going to surveil and keep tabs on these MAGA Republicans, these extremists who are potentially going to start a civil war in the United States. We're going to keep tabs on them. And what, right? They're not going to just surveil. As soon as they think they've got enough evidence to go after individuals, that's exactly what they'll do. They'll show up early morning when it's right before dawn. They'll show up with MRAPs and SWAT gear, and they'll take into custody people like me. And then we'll be detained. We'll be behind bars for months, if not years, away from our families. And the media report will be, we just saved the country from domestic extremism. Anybody who would object, well, they'll be next. To be concerned about that, to be concerned enough to do something about it, like let's say, for instance, to campaign, if that turns into, no, you can't win the election. You cannot win. We will do whatever it takes to prevent you from winning because we've said openly, we've said publicly, we regard you guys as an existential threat to this republic, to this country. You're challenging the norms. By that, we might just mean you're threatening the upending of the status quo, this game that's been so profitable to us, accountability perhaps in cases where we've been traitorous and treasonous. They can't go back. They can't walk that back. So it can only ratchet one direction from here unless some people on the other side of the aisle begin to have a change of heart and they admit, you know what? This is ridiculous. This is absolutely out of control. These Republicans concerned about their country, afraid of where their country is headed, upset at having things stolen from them, being defrauded, being oppressed, being plundered year after year, decade after decade. These Republicans, they're not Hamas. 
You think Republicans are terrorists? What? People who vote for Donald Trump are terrorists? What? Yeah. How about you go check out what's happening in Israel? Come back to me after you've looked at the footage and the audio coming out of Israel. What Hamas is doing to civilians, what Hamas is doing to try and destroy the government of Israel, to exterminate Israelis. That's why they're murdering civilians on site in Israeli cities and towns. That's why they're kidnapping them and they're going to take them and they're going to rape them and torture them and murder them ultimately because they're not going to get what they want at scale. They will settle for as much as they can get, which is to inflict the maximum amount of pain on Israelis to try and wear them down. Watch for the corporate news media to present sympathetic coverage of the Palestinian cause and to paint Israel as the aggressor when Israel defends itself. Watch here in this country as this escalates up and up for the corporate news media to continue presenting these FBI agents who are targeting Republicans, targeting Trump supporters in a sympathetic light. Oh, these poor FBI agents. You know, they have families too. You know, it's just not fair how much criticism they've been getting in recent years for weaponizing the federal government against political opponents of the Democratic Party and the moderate Republicans who make up the establishment. Oh, it's just not fair to these FBI agents, but those MAGA Republicans, those guys. Yeah. Watch if we defend ourselves for us to be presented as the archvillains of the story for all the same reasons that the corporate news media portrays Israel as the aggressor. But follow Andrew Clavin's advice. It's good advice. It's sound advice. He's not the only one giving it, but it's wise counsel. Get married, get a job, work hard, work diligently, rest appropriately, (laughs) pay attention to what you're eating. You men, get married and have kids and raise up a whole bunch of kids who are going to know because of how you relate to your wife in disagreements when there are decisions that need to be made. You model for those kids how to do so in an honorable way, in a God-honoring way, first and foremost, and subsequently, consequently, a way that honors the other person. That's good advice. It's going to be dicey on a national level for some years. I think the short-term outlook, the short-term forecast is pretty bleak. But in the medium to long term, if we will attend to our own households, our own homes, with a view to, all right, where there's an opportunity locally we're going to get involved. We're going to get engaged. We're going to ask questions. We're going to show up. We're going to demonstrate good faith, interest in our community, doing well, being prosperous, being peaceful, being safe. I would say in the medium to long run, that's what will be rewarded by God himself, for one, because it's honorable in the sight of God. It's obedient, Christians, but also we'll see it being honored by even our most ardent critics when the chickens come home to roost with what they have cultivated, what they are even now setting up for turnkey totalitarianism. They just need the right character, the right dangerous, predatory, strong man who will grant all their wishes. Like this magic genie in a bottle, he will grant all their wishes and he will go after everybody that they hate. And then when he's done that, when he's accomplished that, he'll turn on them. We have to be ready to forgive our enemies when, not if, when they come to regret who comes to power by way of these conditions. Because they will. They will. And 
we're commanded in that regard as well, to love our enemies, to do good to those who despise us, use us, persecute us, hate us, say all manner of evil against us. If we are suffering for righteousness' sake, be content. Your reward is great in heaven. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. But that's all the time I've got for this episode. I got to run. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com.